chapter 11 and verse 15 is my text tonight. So anxious to hear these other preachers, anxious to hear Brother Booker. We love him so much. And uh, so glad he's over here in, in the land of the living and uh, the land of the same. God bless him. But uh, we love him so very, very much. Appreciate his ministry. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. And saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating or drinking. And they say, he hath a devil. The son of man come, came eating and drinking. And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in thee had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom or for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Two cities are mentioned here where so many of God's wonders were Seen in witness, things that Jesus did in these places. And yet the Bible says that they, they repented not. They were unimpressed. They did not repent. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We pray for your anointing and power and presence to be upon us tonight, God. We know without you we are nothing and we can do nothing, Lord. We pray tonight, God, that your power will touch our hearts. Help us to make ourselves available unto you. I pray for heaven's best to come in this building tonight and touch us. And I pray that heaven's best will be good enough. Lord, that the job can be done, that grace can do its work. Jesus' name, we love you and we praise you. In the name of the Lord we pray, amen, and you can be seated. Jesus Christ came to the nation of Israel with the greatest of revelations that human ears had ever heard. He came to the Jewish nation and said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He came openly revealing himself to them. 
And yet with all the glorious revelation that he came, with the light that was shining among those that were sitting in darkness, by and large it seemed that the nation of Israel was so wrapped up in their own religion. They were so comfortable in their comfort zone that they did not feel they needed any improvement. They were self-sufficient. They were self-reliant. They were satisfied with what they had and who they were. They felt that they did not need any more than their father Abraham. They scoffed at all Gentiles that were not of their lineage and bloodline. They made fun of the less fortunate like those of Tyre and Sidon. To look at them, you get the impression that they felt like they had a monopoly on God. It was said somewhere that Abraham, they felt, would literally set at the gate of hell. And if by some chance one of theirs would get turned around and possibly go the wrong way, that Abraham would be there to prevent them from going to destruction. They felt like that salvation was a sure thing. They were wrapped up in a set of rules and regulations and laws that, that they had concocted. They were very self-righteous and very satisfied. Can you imagine this is the kind of people that Jesus Christ faced when he came to this world with love and compassion and vision and revelation. And they were the kind of people that, that felt like there was nothing he had that they were interested in. In this text, he likened them to children playing in the marketplace. He likened them to people that had learned to, to play games with sacred things. Not only that, they had become so critical that they they complained about the preachers that were sent to them. One man that would none born greater than woman came by the name of John the Baptist. And they said of John the Baptist that because he neither ate nor drank, that he had a devil. Jesus Christ came himself. And he came eating and he came drinking. And they said that he was a wine-bibber. He was a gluttonous man. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. To tell them that their little religious exercises that they went through was nothing more than, than child's play was enough to stir up their fury and their anger against him. But what really put the coals on the fire is when he began to parallel them with their Gentile neighbors. And he said, because you have seen so much, and because you have heard so much, and because you have witnessed so many miracles and wonders, and because there is such a lack of response in that that has been given you and granted to you, I want to let you know, Israel, in the final analysis, it's going to be better in the day of judgment for these Gentile nations. These people that you look up at as heathens, it's going to be better for them than it is for you. 
Jesus Christ in this text was speaking to cities that had seen every imaginable miracle that could have been witnessed. Cities that he had spent the majority of his ministry in. Cities that he had so given himself to. And yet, they failed to recognize the great responsibility that goes along with seeing so much and hearing so much. Because the Bible says, unto whom much is given, much is required. Hallelujah. You know, I have been raised in this all my life. Received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old. And, and I have spent more time on a Pentecostal pew than, than going anywhere else in life. And, and God has been so good to me. And uh, I thank God for this truth that God has given us. I thank God for the plan of salvation. I'm glad that after over uh, 43 years of preaching that I get excited about Acts 2.38. That people can repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. And they can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I thank God for this Pentecostal way. Hallelujah. Several years ago, we used to sing a song quite frequently. I've got the Holy Ghost. And uh, I've got it. I've got it. There's something about the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I've got it. I really know what the message is in that song. And, and uh, what it's really saying is that we've got the Holy Ghost. And, and there's no really way to explain some aspects of it. Hallelujah, it's joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. And hallelujah, thank God that I got it. It's beyond anything that I could ever imagine. Hallelujah, that Jesus would free me from sin and loose me from iniquity and put the shattered pieces of my life together. And hallelujah, I could be baptized in his glorious name. Hallelujah, I've got it, I've got it. There's something about the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, uh, but I've got it. How many guys you got it tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But there's another way of looking at that, and I want to tell you, along with the privilege of having the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is a great responsibility that God has given us. The Bible says that we are debtors to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. Hallelujah. We have got a responsibility, hallelujah, to those that are around us that are still without. It bothers me when somebody gets the Holy Ghost and gets delivered and, and their life is changed. But yet, it seems they don't follow through. They don't have enough personal experience, hallelujah, to get our, our personal interests to get into a program and and get into a new converts course and and to find out what this is all about so they can tell somebody else hallelujah it's not just something that is exhilarating and and exciting and life-changing but it's in the bible it's in the scripture hallelujah hallelujah you must be born again of the water and the spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of heaven Hallelujah. I want to tell you there's a responsibility that goes along with the great things that God gives to us. 
Who are the men of Tyre? In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of them in Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse 2. Son of man, because that Tyrus has set against Jerusalem, aha, she has broken that was the gates of the people. In other words, because that Tyrus, hallelujah, has made fun of this sacred city and what it represents. She's sat back and she's laughed and she's mocked and she's made fun of her broken gates. Hallelujah. He says, I will cause many nations to come up against thee, O Tyrus. As the sea causes his waves to come up, they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. In other words, by the time I get through with you, there's not going to be enough left to put in a paper sack. By the time I get through with you, I'm going to scrape you like the top of a rock. And you're going to know that I have visited you in judgment. But in spite of all of that, Jesus is saying here in this text, Hallelujah, in so many words, I destroyed Tyrus because she made fun and she laughed and she mocked at you. But I want to tell you, when the smoke clears and it's all over with, and you're standing for the judgment, I'm going to be more tolerable for the cities of Tyre and Sidon than I'm going to be for you. Because I sent John the Baptist, and he preached to you, and he, he, he told you, and yet you complained about him. I come myself, and you said that I was a wine-bibber. Hallelujah, I was a friend of publicans and sinners. Israel, what in the world is wrong with you? With all that you've had, with all that you've seen, with all the miracles that you personally witnessed. Hallelujah, you sat untouched and unaffected and unmoved. Israel, it takes too much to move you. And that's what I want to preach about tonight. I want to preach about does it take too much to move you? Or can anything move you? John couldn't move them. And Jesus himself came and discovered that he couldn't move them. I want to tell you that if God... If God comes and sends to any generation, uh, men of God, and uh, that generation fails to respond, in spite of prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles, and God's gifts to men, God's gifts to the church, hallelujah, if, if, if those things fail to produce the desired effect of Christ in our life, I want to warn people in this building that I want to remind myself that it just takes too much to move us. You know, some people never learn to appreciate what God has given them. When I think of the gifts that's in this church, when I think of the leadership of this personal church here, and and I look out and I see godly men that their lives have been scarred by the sufferings of the cross. Pastors, that it's not just a game. It's not just... Uh, profession. It's, it's not about money. It's about weeping in the night. It's about making yourself vulnerable for people to take advantage of you. 
It's about going the second mile and, and, and giving your very best to the work of God and being excited about it. You know, when I first started preaching or a pastor 19 years ago uh, in Beaufort, Georgia, I went there and I thought, you know, I, I just believe that I, I, can, I can show some people uh, enough love that they'll love me back and I'll be able to help them. I just felt like that if I, if, if, if I could live up to doing what I needed to do, hallelujah, fast days and weeks on end and lay on the floor of the altar and weep between the porch and the altar for people that were messed up in their mind and people that possibly had been injured by, by people in the church or maybe other preachers that if I can show them that I really love them, I just feel like that I'll be able to reach them. But I want to tell you, it didn't take very long for me to find out that there's some people, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you love them. It doesn't matter if you make yourself vulnerable to them. And time and time again, they take advantage of, uh, of your kindness and your love to them. Hallelujah. There's some people that I'm going to tell you when the preaching of the word of God fails to move you and, and the love of the shepherd fails to move you and, and the love of the church fails to change you and turn you around. It takes too much to move you. These cities where Jesus Christ spoke of had been that he rebuked in this text had lost the ability within themselves to be moved. The miracles that Jesus did for these folks was nothing more than just kind of like entertainment. It became nothing more than a sideshow where they just came to watch him operate. It is said at one time that there was someone that actually uh, formed clay pigeons and brought them to him and said, why don't you make these pigeons alive? And, Sir, we've come to see you draw a rabbit out of the hat. We've come to see you do the mysterious. We've come to see you do the impossible. Listen to this. We're not really interested in your teaching. We're not really interested in making a change in our life. We're not interested in becoming radical about all of this. Hallelujah. We're just excited about all these things that you can do. They weren't interested in seeing his face. They were interested in beholding his hands and, and the breaking of the bread and the, and the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. Hallelujah. They were there to see what they could get out of him. And yet they were not interested in the doctrine that he had to teach them. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ never performed the miracle just for the sake of display. But every time he'd done that, that was impossible. He did it to tried to prove to them who he was that he was God manifest in the flesh that he was more than a man hallelujah 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 but when Israel witnessed these things these miracles and wonders did not produce the desired effect of Christ in his life we see that happen almost on a weekly basis in our altars where people come and they tell us, 
Oh, they, they tell you and all of us, we've never felt anything like what we felt at this church. Oh, we've never felt such glory and power. And, and they'll come and tears will stream down their cheeks. And, and they'll be there to reach and grab and lay hold of whatever they can easily grab hold of. But yet there's something deep inside that's never changed and never moved. The desired effect of Christ is never a, a part of their lives. Everything that Jesus did went right over the tops of their heads. Hallelujah. These people, these cities that he ministered to, they missed his purpose of his coming. They misunderstood his teachings. They failed to understand the revelation of who he was. Because in John chapter 8 and verse 19, they asked him, where is your father? He said, you neither know me nor my father. For if you would have known me, you would have known my father also. And I say unto you, except you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Hallelujah. Oh man, it looks like that would have been enough for them to set up and smell the coffee and realize my God, this is more than a man. This is Emmanuel. This is God manifesting the flesh. Hallelujah. He's not just an ordinary man. Hallelujah. The Father and the Son are the same. When you see me, you have seen the Father. But it wasn't enough to move them. It wasn't enough to impress them. Hallelujah. Israel wanted Jesus to come hid their way and, and prove their point and fit into their little protocol of what religion was supposed to be all about. I cannot explain why God would go to such great extremes to give one people as much as he gave Israel. Hallelujah. To understand that this nation as a whole was totally unimpressed. Hallelujah. And to look at other nations in the middle of Jesus' ministry that he might just give them just a little nod and they were ready to respond. They were ready to believe. They were ready to expect the impossible. I remember one of these women of another people that came to Jesus asking for a miracle. Hallelujah. Jesus said, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. And, and uh, he insulted her. And, and then the disciples started insulting her. And, and she started crying after him and and uh, you know it just won't be right for me to do this oh but she looked boldly at him and said but the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table she was so moved by just the little bit that she heard and felt hallelujah you don't have to open up a bakery for me hallelujah I know these apostles they don't even they don't even appreciate the whole loaf that they have I don't need a loaf all I need is a crumb to change my world and, and to deliver my daughter and, and to give me the miracle that I need. Such response. Hallelujah. Tyre and Sidon never had a Bible. They never had a prophet to walk their streets and cry out, repent or ye shall perish. They never had a God to call them His people. Uh, they never heard, Hear, O Tyre and Sidon, uh, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Hear, O, hear, o Tyre and Sidon. Oh no, they, they, did, they never heard that. But Israel, from the time you was babies, it's rang in your ears. You went to the temple and you heard it. 
Hallelujah. It was written on the doorposts of your, of your houses and your gates when you went in and you came out. And it's become such a familiar thing to you. What in the world is wrong with you, Israel? It takes too much to move you. But Israel felt like we don't need any additional commandments. We don't need any additional things added to us than what Moses gave us. Hallelujah. We've got all that we need. And, and Jesus said Tyre and Sidon is going to be in, in a better position to the judgment than, than you. Now, I don't want to be offensive tonight. And, but I would just like to ask the question, could it be? Could it be that God has been so kind to the Pentecostals and one God apostolic people over the years? Hallelujah. To hear the greatest messages that's ever been preached. To sit in services where the presence of God comes in like a tidal wave at times and other times like sweet dew falling from heaven in the morning. And, and all these blessings that, that are around us, could it be that we have become so familiar with it? So frequent the presence of God coming in our life. Has it got to the place that it's just mere entertainment for us? I'm going to say this. As a child, we had wonderful services. We had glorious services. But it seemed like in, in my early years, you know, it, it came maybe a week or, or two apart or maybe a month. We'd have a real good service. And, and people would shout and fall out and, and they'd just talk about it. They'd talk about it for weeks on end of what God did and... And it was like we had to squeeze out every blessing. We just had to, we just had to push to get whatever we had. I want to tell you, we, we have better church now than we've ever had in all of our existence as far as I'm concerned. It's just unbelievable how that we become enraptured and it's just so glorious and wonderful and we have more talent than we've ever had and, and, uh, and we have a lot of glorious people in our churches and, and God has been so good to us. But sometimes I just wonder, I just wonder, it's amazing how far we can go from a high Sunday night to a Monday morning blues. And, and it's like, my God, what in the world's going on around here? It seems like we can't retain what God's poured out on us like we used to be able to, to hold on to it and to nurse it and to take care of it. It seems like that we can be moved to a point, but not moved to the degree of, of making some major changes in our life. I wonder what's causing all that. Song of Solomon chapter 5 tells us the story of, of a man coming to his lover. I believe he's a picture of Christ in the church. It's a picture of, of revelation in the Laodicean church. And uh, so this, he comes and he cries out, I've come into my garden, it's my garden. Come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. And he talks about all that has happened. And, and uh, he stands at the door and he starts knocking and he starts calling. And, and he, he wants to come in to her. And, and he, he, he wants to uh, commune with her. She means everything to, to him. Hallelujah. And yet... There, there seems to be something going on that, that keeps her from uh, responding the way she should respond. 
Hallelujah. She should be moving quickly and opening the door and letting him in. And, and uh, she hears his call. And, but she begins to make excuses. And she says, I, I'm asleep. I'm, I've already put my coat off. And, and how shall I put it on? And, and, uh, and she just makes these excuses. She's, she says, my heart, my heart waketh, but yet, you know, it's like she couldn't get out of bed. Something was telling her, you, you need to wake up because he was calling. And, and then we hear that the dew of heaven has fallen upon his locks and, and his head now is, is, is wet with dew. It, it gives us a little idea of how long that he stood there at that door and he knocked and, and he knocked and he tried to get her attention. He tried to get her up and, and tried to call for her. And, and yet there were things inside. There were things that she had surrounded herself with, the delicacies of life, the fiery of, of her garments, and that, that caused her not to respond as quick as she should have responded. Oh, I'm afraid that we've got some things that have, that have overloaded us. Some things of our own choosing and some things that are just a part of life in this end time. Hallelujah, weights and pressures and distractions that, that unless we're spiritual, unless we are praying the way we need to pray, we're not able to handle them. All of a sudden, and I preached about it last night, our focus is on things around us and problems around us instead of our focus being on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, we go to service and all this, these things are going on and it's glorious and it's wonderful and, and we wake up on a Monday morning and it's like a, there's a dark cloud and hallelujah, we're, we're, we're just feeling a pressure and a weight and we gotta do this and we gotta do that and, and the phone's ringing and the text is coming in and, and the communication's back and forth with people and when God calls us, to come and commune with Him. Hallelujah. We have allowed the temporal to push out the eternal. Hallelujah. I've heard even good men of God get caught up to the place they said, I just don't have time to pray. I want to tell you something. You better find time to pray. You better time find, find time to come apart. Like He sent the disciples out. Apart from the crowd. He didn't stay there forever working those miracles and wonders. He realized you need to get apart or you're going to fall apart. Hallelujah. He, he told his disciples one time, cast out and take your ease. I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. And the Father and then Jesus went into the mountains and he started praying. And that prayer meeting, if you'll look at it close enough, you'll find that was about six hours before he got back to where the storm was taking place. Hallelujah. He had to stop and take time to unload. Hallelujah. In the presence of the Father. Jesus never got so busy about doing things that it affected what he was being. Hallelujah. I want to tell you there's something more important than ministry. And that is having something to minister. And letting something be on the inside of you. It's not so much, hallelujah, what we're doing. It's what we are. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Oh, but I want to tell you, we're God's people. And there ought to be something that rises inside of us when it's time to come into His presence. 
Every time we step on the property of this church and get out of our automobiles and, and our feet hits the asphalt outside, there ought to be something rise within us. There ought to be an expectation. There ought to be an excitement. Hallelujah, that we've come to the house of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to tell you, God has been good to us. God has been so good in our life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many believes that? Hallelujah. You know what? We, we, we can get to a place in life. Hallelujah. That we start casting a critical eye at, at churches around us and, and denominal churches. And you, you know, there's churches that they don't have enough victory and power to even clap their hands. As easy as that is for us to clap our hands into the Lord. There are churches that they're silent and they're dead and they don't know how to worship and, and they don't even know anything about the God that they talk about all the time. Hallelujah. They don't know what it is to shout and dance in the aisles and talk in tongues and, and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. And we've talked about it. My Lord, they're dead and they're lifeless and, and they don't know how to have church and it's a pitiful thing and that's the truth. Nobody has church. Church like apostolic Pentecostal people have church. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that watered down charismatic junk. Hallelujah. Where they have to go through all kinds of motions and, and symbolism. And uh, you know, they can't grab hold of the spiritual. Hallelujah. They don't know what it is to feel the power of God that surges in an old-fashioned apostolic Pentecostal church that's born in a spirit of worship. But I want to tell you something. I believe it's it's a sickening thing to God to see a form of religion where there's no power in it. Hallelujah. But we we can criticize them. But I want to tell you, we ought to have better church than what they have. Hallelujah. With the miracles and the wonders and the revelation that we have that God has given us. The visitation of God's presence that we feel on a, on a, on a regular basis. Hallelujah. We shouldn't hear any of this business of, I'm just wore out and tired of living for God. And I, I just don't even feel like going to church anymore. As I said, there ought to be something that rises inside of us when it's church time. Hallelujah. There ought to be something that moves us to get ready and get in the prayer room rooms and give it our best and come with a smile on our face and the Holy Ghost bubbling in our heart because God's God set us free hallelujah God's given us deliverance hallelujah hallelujah it's a sickening thing when people are bound down to tradition and they're bound down to creeds that are not found in the Bible and there's no flow of God's presence. Surely the heart of God is sickened. Hallelujah. By the many temple places and, and all their chandeliers and their padded pews and their trained voice choirs and the dead seminary preaching. It's a sickening thing. But I do want to tell you there's something that is more sickening to the heart of God than that. And it is this. Hallelujah. It must be a terrible thing. Hallelujah. When it gets to a place in an 
apostolic church. Hallelujah. The people become comfortable and they become satisfied with where they are and what they have. And they feel like that they have arrived and they feel like they have seniority in the church. And they dare anybody to get in their territory. And they dare anybody not to treat them right. And they're, they're interested in their rights around the church. And hallelujah. They're wrapped up in all, all that they become professional Pentecostals. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, there's nothing so sickening in the sight of God than people that have been privileged to know that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, that know that God was in the flesh, that God through the person of Jesus Christ became something that he had never been before, but did not cease to be all that he had ever been. Hallelujah. To have an understanding of the purpose of Calvary. Hallelujah. Was to provide for us an altar of repentance that we could bow our knees in prayer and confess our faults to the Lord to understand the purpose of his burial that we could be baptized with him in, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins to understand the importance and purpose of his resurrection that after we repent of our sins and we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in a burial that we can arise to walk in newness of life and be empowered with the power of the Holy Ghost to understand that we can come to an old-fashioned apostolic church and have a pastor teach us the way of righteousness and the way of holiness and put our shattered lives back together and save our marriages and save our children. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's clap our hands of the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to be able to sit here among people of the name. And that's what we are. We are people of the name. And that's what puts us different apart from anybody else. We're not Trinitarian people that don't know who God is. Jesus Christ was not the second person in a holy trinity. He's not Joseph, uh, Jehovah Jr., but he is God manifest in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. Hallelujah. He, by all, by, by him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To receive a revelation. Of what that name is according to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 43. I come in my father's name. But I'm going to tell you there's nothing so sickening. As to have all that inside of you. Have all that inside of you. And get to a place that you've allowed life and you've allowed familiarity with God's holy things to come into you, your life. And to be in a place where you are unmovable. You are unimpressed. Several years ago in Texas, there was a man that came up after the preaching and said, Preacher, I just want to let you know that I was really impressed with your preaching tonight. I was impressed 
you kind of came from a different direction. He said, you know, I've had the Holy Ghost 12 years. And he said, I just about got this thing figured out. He said, it's been a long time since any preacher's come by here and preached that I couldn't stay a step ahead of him in his message. I, I knew where he was going. He, he was trying to impress this guy was. And he said, you know, you just kind of caught me by surprise and I just want to, I just want to tell you, it takes, uh, it takes a lot to impress me. It takes a lot to move me. And, and I just want to let you know that I was moved. And I thought, dear God, have mercy. Poor guy. Messed up to brag that it takes something special to move him. I'm going to tell you if it's a preacher that's preaching his first sermon and he gets on our candy stick and he preaches Acts 238 and one God in Christ and hallelujah and holiness. Hallelujah. We ought to jump up and shake our fists in the air and say, praise God. We got some more coming on. It's preaching this beautiful message. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. We had a, we had a little problem a while back among some of our Spanish daughter works and, and there was some that was complaining because in, in certain services they just kept on preaching the, the plan of salvation, teaching it over and over and over and over again. Well, I said, you know, hallelujah. Well, you, you got a bunch of people. They, they don't have God in their life. And this, these, these certain works that it was full of more people without the Holy Ghost than with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You know what they need to hear? They need to hear Acts 2.38. They need to hear you need the Holy Ghost or you're going to be lost. You better get baptized in Jesus' name and take on His name. Because in Revelation, it's going to be the named and the numbered. If you don't get His name, you're going to end up with the mark of the beast on you. You better get right with God. Hallelujah. Ain't no sense in trying to teach them some kind of deep mystery or something new every time they come to the house of God. They got to, they got to get the first things first. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. See, he said, first of all, Christ came according to the Scriptures. He, he died according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. And he went on to talk about this Holy Ghost that we have, this resurrection that we have. You don't have anything until you get the message inside of you. And you experience the power of the resurrection. Hallelujah. You know, I got enough sense to know that I'm preaching to people that, that knows a lot about some things. I'm preaching in, 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 in this, this meeting tonight. Good church is here. You know what it is to have good church. You know what it is to experience just about everything it seems to be experienced. Hallelujah. Sunday night after Sunday night, the glory of God falling, the power of God moving. Hallelujah. You, you've seen so many things. I'm going to tell you it's easy for us if we're not careful to get to where we start saying, well, what's new around here? I'm going to knock something in the head that I have knocked in the head when I first heard about it. We got people, you know, I won't put a balance on some things. I know, I know in certain situations, and you know, but, but when I heard somebody say, we're canceling our Sunday night service, but they added something to it because we're tired of this same old deal, coming and shouting and running and, and all this kind of business. 
And I'm going to tell you, it's sad. There's something bad wrong deep down inside. It's one way to, it's one thing to arrange a schedule because of situations or whatever and, and still try to get as much church in as you can. But I want to tell you, something's bad wrong when really the problem is you're disinterested. And maybe the problem is, is that you've got too much of Hollywood that you're, I want to tell you any of Hollywood's too much. You get wrapped up in it and you just can't work it into, you know, the services are infringing on what you really love and what your God really is. Hallelujah. Here you are. You've got the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. But you haven't finished the race. You've become an idolater. You've got idols in your life that means more to you than church and finding God and renewing yourself in God's spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everybody happy? Hallelujah. (coughs) Just the other day, I just got to thinking about it. And I got to thinking... Are we becoming addicts to sensationalism? Are we becoming addicts that we don't think anything's happening unless we're running or jumping? Or hollering or screaming? Are the preachers preaching loud and fast? How about some old-fashioned Bible studies? What's, what's wrong with people that says, you know, I don't want you to, you know, you better get up there and get it out and sit down or we're not going to be with you. Now, I don't think we need to try to break a record every time we get and preach and see how long we can go and, and keep repeating the same thing and, and touching it from this side and touching it from the other side. And, and you know, it's just the same old deal. Hallelujah. We, we are human beings, and there's just so much that we can stand or take in, rather, and digest. And... But is it that in all this wonderful services that we're having now, do we just run in there and plug in? And, and all my, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I get on Sunday night, I get in there and I feel so wrung out and worn out and the presence of God comes in and I feel so good and wonderful. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not killing all that. I'm not, but what I am saying is, are we just kind of plugging in and, and letting all that happen and really not being moved deep down inside? Is it just sensationalism that doesn't demand a response from us? Is it just sensationalism that don't really move us off from where we're at and correct the things in our life? And we all need things corrected in our life. It's a process of readjusting. It's a process of uh, backing up and, and going forward again. Hallelujah. We don't need preaching until we get out of here. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. A preacher several years ago came to me and asked me to preach him a revival. I was evangelizing at that time. He had taken a turn in his ministry previous years before that. Got wrapped up in... Well, I'm, on, I'm not going to get too plain. Somebody might know who I'm talking about. And I, that's not my desire, but... 
he found himself caught up in sensationalism. And yet he was like the woman that was waking up or trying to wake up. And, uh, and he said, you know, I, I don't know. I'm always seeking for somebody new to bring in to move the crowd. He was the type of guy that would close out a revival with one guy right in the middle of it to try to grab somebody else. Just, just anybody. I got to get somebody in here to excite the people. They started thriving on, on this and gospel rock music. And we're going to be closer to the world so we can win the world. And he stood and told me one day, he said, I need, I need somebody to come and help me. I, need, I got to get my church back. He never got his church back. He said he jumped on the pulpit one night. He had a message from God. God gave it to him. He spent hours... And he's just started teaching a Bible study, trying to feed the flock. And, and he realized they, they weren't even listening to him. They, they just, you know, they, they, they weren't geared to that anymore. He literally got on top of the pulpit and started screaming and preaching. And, and when he'd done something out of the ordinary, they started responding. And he said, my God, I don't know what I'm going to have to do next time to move them. Does it take too much to move you? Is there somebody sitting here tonight and saying, my heart's crying out. There's something that's saying I need to wake up. But it seems like I can't wake up. I got this and I've got that. I'd have to adjust this and I don't know if I can untangle this. And and I'm so busy. I've got to finish this first before I can even think about seeking God. I've got so much in my mind and on my hands. I've got so many business deals. I've got so much much that's pressuring me. I I don't even have time to go by the church in the morning and pray and start my day. I'm just too busy. And there's something that's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. But I'm so entangled with these things. I'm like the woman saying, how can I put my coat back on? I've taken it off and I'm comfortable for the night. And I've wrapped myself in all these delicacies around me, these these sweet comfort things of life. And Several years ago in a revival meeting... There was a young man that uh, had felt his call to preach and had gone to a Bible college for a year and come back to the home church and, and then backslid. And, but uh, I had preached a revival there uh, two or three years previous to the time I'm going to talk about. And, and we had become friends and he had such a burning desire to do something for God. And on the spur of the moment, got married to somebody just without just just a girl that wasn't even living for God and and it just entangled him and I was actually preaching about 20 miles away from him and of course I pastor and myself were friends and but this boy not going to church started calling me he was stirred up and, and I talked to him I said it's time for you to get in the church and live for God we met in, in uh, Tulsa Oklahoma and played racquetball he made a promise, I think it was on that Saturday, he made a promise that he's going to go to church on Sunday and uh, he's going to get right with God. And so, sure enough, he had children now and he got up and tried to get his wife to go with him. She said, I ain't going to church. And He had to get the kids ready, got all three kids ready and went to church and 
got there and prayed through and and uh, Sunday night and got to church Sunday night and all of a sudden he just had a terrible headache and staggered into the men's restroom and then collapsed and and uh, he when the hospital was contacted they brought a helicopter down from Tulsa and picked him up and took him to the hospital and they called me and I went to the hospital and sitting there with the family and the pastor and, and they were just wondering, well, wonder what's happened, wonder, wonder, not thinking the worst, but and then they came out and they said, uh, we just want to tell you that Randy is not with us anymore. Uh, he's, he's on a machine and but he's had a massive aneurysm of the brain and and said he's... Uh, you know, the machine's working, but he's he's really not here. They didn't want to unplug him. Just young man in his early twenties. We were called back to the room, and he was laying there, and the machine was going, and the color was still good in his face, and he was an athlete. He he uh, he looked like a picture of health, and and uh, we prayed and. We talked to him. They left me by myself for a little while, and I got a little more desperate. And I said, Randy, Randy, do you hear me? Randy, this is, this is Tim Copeland. I'm here with you, buddy. God loves you. Squeeze my hand, Randy. A nurse had come in with, with a straight pen or whatever they use, and probe and was probing his feet. Another one was looking at his his eyes. His eyes were opened. He left this world with his eyes open. And uh, days passed by and we saw his eyes just drying up and uh, the machine going. And I'd go by, Randy, Randy, squeeze my hand. I'd, I'd push him a little bit. Randy, do you feel this? Randy! There wasn't an answer. And that's a tragedy. In one sense of the word, but in another sense of the word, he was ready to meet God, and God took him out of that situation. I'm going to tell you something more tragic than that. It's... Somebody sat on a Pentecostal pew in a camp meeting. I don't know if this is appropriate to preach at a camp meeting. All I know is I felt like I, 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 was, I was pushed to preach this. It's tragic when you look back and the lights is on but nobody's home and they just sit there and they never respond and they never move. And the shepherd reaches out and tries to touch him and tries to love them and there's just there's just nothing something's died inside of them God moves in his great and wonderful way and all of a sudden your mind is flooded with memories of when they used to respond when things like that happened in church and now they sit there and they just look they just looked I saw a couple of young ladies the other night in a service where the glory of God was falling like streams of, river, of of water and and 
people all over the place. It looked like everybody was responding but these two sisters. And they just sat there. And they just looked around. Their grandpa's a great Pentecostal preacher. They'd been raised in it all their life. And there was not one ounce of anything. Their eyes were lifeless. And they would just, I watched them. They'd just, they'd just, just look at somebody. Just, just, just nothing. Hallelujah. What's going to happen at the judgment? If Jesus said of Israel, it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. What's going to happen to Pentecostal people that some way or another allow the cares of this life or offenses or injuries or disappointments to take out of their life any desire to pursue after God? I'm going to tell you, we got to run after God. You got to get up in the morning getting it. I got to pray. I got to feel God. I don't know what I'm going to face today. I've got to have protection. I've got to have a wall of fire around me. I've got to stay full of the Holy Ghost. There's too many things bidding for my soul. Let's all stand tonight. There's too many things reaching for me. Hallelujah. The very thing that brought me in the church is what's going to keep me in the church. I've got to stay tender. Hallelujah. I've got to keep tears flowing out of my eyes. I've got to pray. I've got to cry. I don't want to get to a place that I go weeks on end and I never shed a tear. Nothing moves me. Nothing affects me. I had a man stand in our church the last service we were in. Tears streaming down of his cheeks. A man that knows better he was telling me about him he's dying with cancer now spread all over his body it's in his brain I said call brother Copeland to pray for you if you can come to church and let us pray he just sat there he may be dead tonight he was very close Looks like a man would respond. Looks like a man would move. I had an uncle and aunt that was in the church for many, many years as, as, as young people got the Holy Ghost. He used to spend nights in the church praying. Loved to read the Bible. And they got offended. They got offended. I preached a revival in her hometown. I used to go by there. I went by there. I don't know how many times in that revival in the afternoon. I'd get ready for church and was going to go to the church. And I'd drop by my uncles and aunts. They'd be sitting out there drinking. My aunt was raced to the hospital in Galveston, Texas. and Her body, her, her, her kidneys and everything shut down. And she just started swelling I went there and I prayed for her. And in just a matter of hours, 16 gallons of water. They had given her no hope. 16 gallons of water. She passed through her body. And they shook their heads and didn't understand it and sent her home. But they said, don't you ever drink again. If you drink, you're going to die. You know what she did? 
She went home. I went by to see her. Come on to revival. You know what that always tells me? Oh, we're going to come one of these days. We're going to come. And then he'd start wanting to talk about the book of Revelation. I was off in a revival when my wife, when my mother called me and told me about my aunt and said, uh, she's back in the hospital, same thing. She's been drinking. And, and so I, I prayed for her. My aunt died. She died without God. She died knowing about God. She told me for years, we're going to come to church. We, we know what... We know what it's all about. We know. We can pray through. I asked my mother. I said, Mama, did she call the pastor? No, not that I know of. She never called the pastor. Mama, you was there. Did Aunt pray? She said, I never heard a prayer prayer. How can a backslider that's known God be dying and not even say, Jesus, help me? I trust there's nobody here tonight in that shape. But I am here to warn you that there are some people here that you're on the way. You have not kept your heart tender. You're not easily approached. You get offended when somebody tries to talk to you. Some of you has got offended over this preaching tonight. But I'm going to tell you, if you can feel anything, if there's a little flicker of fire that's left, you need to fan the flames. In this camp meeting, you need to make up in your mind, I'm not going to worry about what anybody else is doing at the church. I've got to find a place. I've got to find a secret place. I've got to pray until I pray through. I'm not interested in just praying to feel a little better. I'm not interested in just a little sensation where I feel like, well, you know, God still loves me and God's still reaching for me. Oh, God, have mercy. You need to realize it's time to make haste. Like Lot left the city of Sodom, you need to run for your life. You don't need to casually walk down every avenue of sin looking at what you're going to have to leave and what you're going to have to give up. You don't have to understand how you're going to be able to give it up. Let God figure it out. He specializes in saving people. Hallelujah. Get in this altar and let God help you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's time to pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, God, help me to be more tender, God. Tenderize this soul of mine, this heart of mine. Even preachers can get to a place where it's just...